Well, good morning, Aspen Grove. Uh, it's always a joy to be here. Uh, it's a particular joy the last few times we've been here because I've seen many unfamiliar faces. And that means there are people at least who are new to me here, and, and to have new faces means what we have a growing church, a vibrant church, so I'm just happy to be here to see new faces. But I'm also really happy to be here to see the, uh, what's the opposite of new? <laughs> uh, familiar, familiar faces who've been here for quite a while. So it's a great joy we have this morning, and, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm called to be here and to teach, but I'll just tell you, I can't teach any more than what we just had with the kids. <laughs> so you're never supposed to follow kids on stage, and it's not a stage, it's a church, but I'm really happy to do that because they really embodied uh, the message that we're going to have this morning. I want you to think, first of all, about America and about American values. What is the thing that Americans treasure the most? What's the greatest value that Americans have? I want you to think about your own greatest value, uh, what you think your neighbors might treasure more than anything else, value more than anything else. And then I'll give you an answer, at least from people who have done surveys and study. You may not agree with their answer, but what's the thing that we Americans think is the most important thing? And the answer I've read in studies, surveys, is this. Our most important American value is freedom. Is that your answer? Freedom, liberty. We believe in freedom. We have our own American kind of version of what freedom means. Freedom basically means don't get in my way, right? Don't tread on me. Don't get in the way of my freedom, my choices. And we even put together a government that was intentionally designed to be inefficient. <laughs> we, really, it's called checks and balances. And the whole purpose of the government, you know your American history, is so that no one would ever again have authority over us. Not even the government, no one person, no one group. Freedom. And then we come to the Gospel of Matthew. And all throughout Matthew, we, we find a word that, that challenges our value, at least our view of freedom. All right, it's a word that Americans don't like. Are you ready? King. The theme of Matthew is, what, the good news of the kingdom coming. To have a kingdom, you have to have a king. Now, we Americans used to have a king. You remember that? We got rid of him. It's called the Revolution, a long time ago. We think we like kings and queens as long as they're in some other country and have palaces and princesses and have no power. But we do not want someone to have absolute authority over us, right? And then here comes the Gospel of Matthew, the good news of Matthew. And the theme of that gospel is Jesus is the king. Go to the very beginning. What do you have? A list of the ancestors of Jesus. And they're all important, but the really key one is David. Jesus is a king. He's descended from David. We have the birth of Jesus that we sang about a few minutes ago. 
And in Matthew, when, after Jesus is born, what these magi, wise men, some even think they're kings because they have these kingly gifts, right? That they come and who are they looking for? They say, we've seen a star of what? The newborn king of the Jews. And the guy who thought he was king, Herod, gets really frightened by that. If you're a king, you don't want rival kings. And so you remember he even puts to death the, the boy babies, two years old and, and younger, to try to kill Jesus. But they've been warned, they get away from the very beginning. The story of Matthew is Jesus is king. So what does Jesus do? He comes, he begins his ministry. What does he say? How would you summarize the teaching of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus? Jesus says, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is near, it's coming. It's here in some ways. You remember when Jesus teaches, they're all kind of astonished. Not just by what he said, but how he said it. He teaches with what authority. He teaches like the king would teach. He has power, authority even over demons. He has the authority as the great king to even what forgive sins. He has authority over sickness. And then toward the end of his life, he rides into Jerusalem as a king, the way the king was expected, the Messiah, to arrive. And then as we've particularly looked at in the last few weeks, that crowd that shouted, Hosanna, he's our king. At least some in the crowd, maybe later, just a few days later, said, what, crucify him. And so Jesus goes to the cross. Why? What's he accused of? You know this. Matthew says it was a charge kind of on the cross, over his head. He's put to death. He's charged by the Romans because he says he is, what, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. But what good's a dead king? And so after he's crucified, he's put in the grave, but then what? On that first day of the week, he's raised from the dead. He's shown to be the king who has power even over death. And the Gospel of Matthew, there are not many appearances, not many stories about the appearances of Jesus. But one story that kind of sets up where we're going today at the end of Matthew, Jesus says, go to Galilee and I'll appear to you. And that finally leads us to these verses, the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority. Not just in heaven, but on earth. We're Americans, but you know what? We have a king. And this king, this Lord, uh, doesn't really ask us to vote for him. Uh, he doesn't take opinion polls. He's not here, I'm sorry, to kind of fulfill all your dreams and, and goals. He is the king. He is the absolute ruler. He is the one who has all authority. When he says, do it, you do it. You don't debate. You don't say, I'd rather not. 
All authority, Jesus says, have been given to me in heaven and on earth. And therefore, what is the command of our Lord, our King? Therefore, because he has all authority, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's not optional. It's a command from one who has all authority. And what does he command? First thing he says is, all right, you want to say it again? Ready? Go, go, go. (laughs) Go where? I've known Christians who kind of don't go because they're paralyzed, wondering where they should go. Now, Jesus says where to go for all of us, all his disciples, go into all the world. There's no corner of the world that, that, what, should be outside the reign, that is outside the reign of our king. Go into all the world. And so it may be, it may be that God calls you to some warm climate. Seriously. Or some cold climate or some really place that to you is strange and foreign. But I suggest to you that this command to go is not so much less worry about where to go. Jesus says, go where you are. And for some of us, it's, it's harder. It really is. It's harder to kind of cross the lawn to the neighbor next door than it is to, to get on the plane and go to what some country that's different from us to kind of spread the good news. Jesus says, wherever you find yourself, that's where you go. But, you know, the point of going is it takes some effort to go. Now, yeah, uh, I admit I'm getting older. You are too, by the way. And it seems to me every day it takes a little more effort to just get up and go. So Jesus doesn't say, hey, be at ease, be be my people and be comfortable, right? He doesn't say, just stay where you are and do what you've always done. He says, no, there's some movement here. Go. Go into your world. Go to those you know. Go into all the world, he says. And... Second part of the command, go. Then he says, make disciples. My experience, I've been in church a long time. I love the church. I do. But but I learned some really strange things in church sometimes, it seems. And it may not be what they taught me. It may be what I heard, but... In my experience, um, we sometimes did a really bad job of making disciples. Or or maybe we took a bad approach of making disciples. So when I was young and heard this passage, I thought to make disciples, I had to have a certain personality. Are you with me? I had to be outgoing, kind of a salesman type. And uh, I am an introvert. That's why it's only the Holy Spirit gets me up here, right? Uh, and, and I just couldn't make myself have that, what, evangelist, whatever the word is, personality. And Jesus didn't say, no, 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 you don't have to make disciples that way. And even sometimes it seems to me we made disciples by trying to argue people into the gospel. 
If we could just have the right arguments, the clincher argument, we could convince them of the truth of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we may even try a little bit in a good Christian way, coercion. You know, we want to guilt people into kind of being disciples. We, we would begin with, you know, you're a sinner, which doesn't seem to me a good way to begin. We'll come back to that in a minute. And so maybe, maybe for some of us, and, and there's another reason, but maybe because of those reasons or maybe because we're Americans. And we're around Americans and Americans love freedom. And, and you know, one thing you're not supposed to talk about in America is... Religion, God, it's just kind of in bad taste to do that. It's a little offensive. It's a little scary. So maybe for all those reasons, and I shouldn't speak for you, but, but we have a little trouble hearing this command and doing this command. Jesus says, go. He says, make disciples. How do we make disciples? Well, how did Jesus make disciples? Seems to me we make disciples the same way Jesus did. It begins with a call. You know this in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus sees those guys fishing. He says, come follow me. Fish for people. He sees Matthew, the tax collector at his booth. And he says, Matthew, come follow me. How do we make disciples? We begin with an invitation to others. Come follow Jesus. And it's, it's a very personal invitation that we say, come follow Jesus with us. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or we're not trying to get them to do something we're not doing. We're saying, we're following Jesus. We want you to follow Jesus. Why? Because, and I think this may be our root problem with making disciples, is we've forgotten our message. And the message is good news, right? Right? We fancy it up with a, a Bible, a churchy word, gospel, but it's good news. Now, don't you like to share good news? If you don't, you're the strangest person I ever met. <laughs> so what if I tell you, okay, uh, there's a restaurant not far from here that is the best food I've ever eaten in Nashville. And it's relatively inexpensive. And the people who wait on you, they're friendly and nice and efficient. And there's plenty of parking. Come with me. Would you think that's good news? Y'all wouldn't think that's good news? No hungry people here. All right, was it good news? You know, what if I said, all right, come on with me and I'll pick up the tab. Is that good news? Oh, I, I knew I'd get your attention. Now, what none of you will say, at least I don't think you will. I don't know all of you. You make some really, really strange people here. I don't know. I don't think any of you would say, who does that guy think he is telling me what restaurant to eat in? I don't think any of you would get mad at me and say, I like my restaurant. Who does he think? Does he think his is better than mine? No, no. Why? You'd say, that's good news. It's an invitation to something wonderful, something good. My friends, we are people who simply share good news. What? That God so loved the world. Good news that Jesus is our king. And that he gives us a different kind of freedom. Not the freedom to have my own way, but the freedom to be not just free from sin, but free to serve God and free to love my neighbor. Jesus said, follow me. It's good news. How else did Jesus make disciples? Well, he kind of says that here, right? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. We'll come back to that in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching these new disciples. So when Jesus called his disciples, they saw what he did. But there were times when he sat them down and he said, I just want to teach you for a little bit. 
And the Gospel of Matthew has maybe the, the most famous, we call it a sermon, kind of teaching from Jesus. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 5, 6, 7. You know this, but let's review it a little bit. What does it mean to be a disciple? It says, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. What does it mean to be a disciple, to follow Jesus? You know what he taught? There's certain people who are blessed, and it's not the ones you think. It's the meek and the merciful and even the persecuted. What else he say? You're light and you're salt. We'll see that at the table later. He said, you know, it's not just enough to outwardly obey what God says. It's an inward thing. So don't hate your neighbor. Don't be angry with your neighbor. What else does he say? So when you give to others, when you pray, don't do it to be seen by them, but do it to praise God. What does he say? He says, okay, don't worry about money. That's what he says. <laughs> Seek the kingdom. If Jesus is king, Jesus says, I'll take care of you. Everything else will be added to you. What else does he say? Doing to others whatever you would like them to do to you, he says. Then he talks about being a true disciple, one who doesn't just hear the word, but does it, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. And what's the greatest command? Again, from Matthew chapter 22, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what's the most important command in the law of Moses? I'll pause and say this is another way which sometimes we haven't made disciples well. We've given them dozens and hundreds of commands, almost like a burden. And then what's the most important one? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. How do we make disciples? We give them good news. We're following Jesus and it's wonderful. Come with us. It's good news for you too. And as you come, we'll teach you what it means. Jesus will teach you what it means to follow him. What does it mean? It means love God. Love your neighbor. And in between commanding us to make disciples and commanding us to teach these disciples... He says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Again, I grew up in churches of Christ, and we talked about baptism, and maybe we didn't always do that well, but we did a lot. And I think that's good. You, you really can't overemphasize baptism. You can misunderstand baptism, but you can't emphasize it enough if it's properly understood. Because here, in this water, not because it's magic water, but because Jesus meets us there. That here in this water, we who are baptized people, we're baptized into what? The name, the one name of Father, Son, and Spirit. That by the grace of God, by the death of Jesus, by the power of His resurrection, we are in God, the Father, and He's in us. We are in Christ. Our king, and he is in us. 
And we are in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in us. But as we know, baptism is not an end. And I must confess, again, sometimes in church we've had kind of the catch and release program. You know, you get them in the water and then you, no, 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 that's, that's not an end, it's the beginning, right? It's the beginning of that marvelous life that God has blessed us with. This life in the kingdom. Where the question is not, what do I want? What am I free to do? How can I get my way? The question is, who is my king? Who am I going to follow? And the great good news and the great joy that Jesus is our king. Now this command, or these commands, go, make disciples, baptize, teach, they demand a response. What should be our response? What have been the response of kind of disciples through time, through the ages, even from the beginning? Right before Jesus has this passage... It says this, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, that's the resurrected Jesus, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Well, now that's a surprising passage to me. Because at least one time in, in my life, I, I would have thought, maybe I sometimes think now, you know, if I'd seen him. <laughs> if I'd seen him alive, kill, bury, but if I'd seen him raised from the dead, I, then faith would be easy, wouldn't it? Right, it'd be sight. It wouldn't even be faith. And then we have this very interesting, surprising maybe passage. That the disciples come and they see with their own eyes the risen Lord, and yet what? Some Doubt it. We're not saved by sight. We're saved by faith. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And that's always been true. There were people who saw Jesus and still didn't believe what they saw. So the question is, do you believe? Or do you doubt? And what is it we're asked to believe in this passage. Well, the very last words of Matthew. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always, Jesus says. Now, you've been studying the Gospel of Matthew, and I don't know if you noticed, but, but Matthew doesn't talk very much about the Holy Spirit. Anybody notice that? But I'm completely convinced that this last verse of Matthew is all about the Holy Spirit. In the other Gospels, Jesus says it differently, right? In the other Gospels, he says things like, go to Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. Or in the Gospel of John, Jesus just breathes out the Holy Spirit on them. But in Matthew, what Jesus says is, go. Make disciples, baptize, teach. But know that when you go, you're never alone, that I am with you always. How is Jesus with us right now? He's with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And because in baptism we were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, because in baptism we received that wonderful gift of the Spirit, then what? Father, Son, Spirit have made their home in us. And so when you say to your neighbor, your friend, I got some good news for you. God loves you. And I'm following this God of love who showed his love in Jesus. Why don't you come with me? Find out what that's like. You know what? That's not you saying it. Isn't this good news? It's the Holy Spirit in you saying it. It's Jesus still calling your neighbor to come, to follow. It's Jesus still spreading the good news. But now he does it not in his physical body. He does it in my physical body, yours, and in us as what the body of Christ. And so the good news demands a response, a choice. Some saw the resurrected Jesus and they worshipped. When we worship, what are we saying? We're saying Jesus is our King. He is our Lord. Whatever He says we will do, we'll go. We'll make disciples. Worship or doubt? Is it fear or is it faith? And do we really believe that Jesus is present with us? Or do we believe somehow it's kind of up to us to win our neighbor? Is it the presence or is it the absence? And so I'll leave you with that question. Who is your king? Which leads us to another place where we are reminded of who our king is. And that is, Jesus, our King, our Lord, invites us to his table. So, okay, I'm not really taking you all to lunch, but here I got better news. <laughs> that Jesus invites us to his meal. And it really is the best food you've ever had. It's the bread of life. It's that blood that cleanses us from sin. Jesus invites us to his meal. And guess what? He picks up the tab. He paid the price. And here at this table, in a moment, you'll be invited to go to the different stations, take the bread, take the cup. But in this meal, we also are reminded that this is the great banquet. This is the king's meal. And this is a foretaste, a preview of that great meal that we will all enjoy someday in the great kingdom of God in heaven, the one we sang about a few minutes ago. And we'll have more than 10,000 reasons then to, for the rest of eternity, praise our King. Jesus invites you to His table. He invites you to worship Him as King. Let's pray together. God of love, we give you thanks. For our Savior who died for us, but dear God, we pray that you will increase our faith. May we put aside our ideas of selfish freedom. May we follow the one who is our true king. And now, Father, we give thanks for this bread and for this cup to us, the body and the blood of Jesus. May we rejoice in the good news of this meal and of the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.